Thank you. My name is Fitz. I am an alcoholic. Hi, Fitz. A uh, little bit of background is uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Charlie asked me if I'd like to come here and speak, and I said yes, and I thank you and thank him for allowing me to do this. This is my first time speaking for an hour. Uh, when I told a friend I was coming out here, he told me, wow, that's pretty special because not only is an eating meeting and a speaker meeting, but it's only anniversary meeting, so they only ask the best people to speak at those. <laughs> so I told him, I beg to differ. <laughs> uh, that may not be, they may not come away thinking that, but I am happy to be here. Uh, the beginning for me, my, my full name is John Francis Xavier Fitzpatrick, about as Irish as you could get, Irish Catholic as you could get, you know, so... It's in my genes, and I know it's in my genes because my dad died in the streets as an alcoholic. He, he quit drinking when, he was about, when I was about seven years old, and it lasted about 15, 16 years. And his life got too much for him, and he went back out drinking. He died in the streets after I joined the military. All the kids were gone. I think he stayed sober long enough to get the kids out of the house, and then afterwards he was going back to do what he wanted to do. And I, would, I don't blame him, because his life was not pleasant. And it was not pleasant to, to his own. I'd never seen a big book in the house. You know, he got sober through AA, but never went to meetings. My brother, he got sober through AA about five years before I did. But he doesn't go to AA today, because he says there's nothing but a bunch of whiners at AA. Because when he got sober... He stayed around AA long enough to go through uh, rehab through the state of Florida, moved into a halfway house, hung around with a bunch of people in halfway houses, and then when he got his own apartment, he stopped going to AA. He only went to halfway So all he did was run around newcomers. So, of course, he had a joke, because when I was a newcomer, I was a guy who sat in the back of the room and made fun of the old-timers and said, yeah, right. Yeah, it's that good today. You're full of crap, you know? And, and I judged people. That's what he did. And that's what he did. So I believe the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. So if I don't want the same thing to happen to my dad or the mindset that my brother has, because my brother's life is no good today. He blames everything on everyone else. Nothing is his fault, you know? And I find out for an alcoholic that that's a bad thing to do. And the only way I could learn to take responsibility and hold myself accountable is by coming to AA and growing in the fellowship and getting and growing in spirituality. It's funny that this uh, group has 11 years anniversary because I also have 11 years. My sobriety date is July 7th, 2004. Uh, thank you. Prior to that, uh, just like mo most alcoholics, I didn't do all bad things. I retired from the military. I served four years in the Marines and 18 years in the Navy. I went in in 1973 to Marines and got out of the Navy in 2001 with five and a half years broken service between it. And uh, it, it's a good life. I had a good life. I just drank a lot. You know, and that's about the only thing I'm going to say about drinking. What drinking did, did for me, got me thrown in jail. It, 
It caused my first wife to leave. Uh, I gave up my children for a while because I didn't want to be around anybody. I didn't want anybody in my life. It, it did, alcohol did the same thing, and, and believe it or not, it got me drunk a lot. You know, but in 2004, something changed. July 4th is my anniversary. And on July 5th of 2004, my wife told me that her own language, you effed up another anniversary. You effed up another anniversary. I think we were married 17 years at the time. This year we'll be married 29 years. Uh, so we're still together. And uh, the thing is, it pissed me off that she told me that because of my drinking, I effed up another anniversary. And I stood upstairs at the second floor yelling down to her on the first floor, I hate your guts and I wish you were dead. That's why I was yelling at her. One day after our 17th wedding anniversary, I was doing that. The next day, I woke up. And what I felt was in chapter 3, the first page of chapter 3, I felt pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. I hated my guts. And because when I woke up on July 6th, for some reason, God removed my ability to justify and rationalize. I couldn't come up with any reason why I did that. In the past, that's not the worst thing I ever did in my life. That's not even the worst thing I ever did to her in my life. You know? But at that point, I just hated my guts. And I woke up saying, God help me the cry of many alcoholics. The only difference was that when I said that, I took action. Because I woke up a lot of times saying, God help me. I'm never going to drink like that again. I'm not going to hurt anybody like that again. I'm never going to do that. But I never took any action afterwards. That's as far as well. I was going to do it myself. This time, for some reason, I went with the we concept. I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous because, like I said, my, my family, I had uncles die, die of it before my dad. Uh, I had, since I've been sober, in 2013, I had a cousin die from this disease. Not a traffic accident, not joking on vomit, not anything. Actually died from cirrhosis of the liver. Bloated, turned orange, and died. You know. Went to the hospital, lasted four hours in the hospice. From the time they transferred from the hospital to the hospice, he lasted four hours in the hospice. So I know what this disease could do. And, but I had to do something. And I called my brother, who was sober a few years already, and I told him, I asked him, where can I find an AA meeting? How do I go about finding an AA meeting? I got to stop drinking. And he said, I thought you didn't drink that much. You only drank on weekends. I said, Dennis, I'm an alcoholic. Man, come on, I lied. And uh, he, he said, um, uh, <clears throat> well, how much have you been drinking? And I told him. He said, dude, you got to detox. You can't just go to AA meeting. You got to detox. So I didn't know what to do. I looked on the back. My wife told me to look on the back of my medical card my employer's medical card. I looked on the back, he gave me a number to call. I called the number, I told them what was going on. They asked me if I had a vehicle, can I go someplace if I had to. They finally asked me where I live, blah, 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 everything. And I said, if I had to go somewhere, then I have a way to get there. I said, yes. They hung up. They called me back, and I lived in Litchfield Park, and they put me in detox over at Banner Scottsdale. And I went over there. 
My wife drove me over there. On the way over there, I guzzled vodka and smoked pot because it's the only way I could do it. I was, I, I was an everyday drinker at the end. My last three years, from 2001, from the time I retired from the military, to 2004. And the reason I went over that edge when I was in the military, I had to go to work. You don't show up for work in the military, they just don't fire you. You know, they put you in jail for a while. You know, they took, take all your money and everything. It's not like just go down the road and get another, another job. So I had to do I had to go, go to work. So, but when I was working after the military, I was working on the road. I was able to go to a hotel room, motel room every night and drink as much vodka as I wanted to. But the thing was, I didn't want to drink anymore, you know, up to that point. I told myself this is the day I stopped, and I couldn't stop. But this was a moment of clarity, and I realized today I had lots of moments of clarity in my life, but I never took the action on it. You know, when I went to detox, I went through it. I spent five days in detox. People came in and spoke to us. I made sure I was there, out there talking to the counselors or listening to the counselors. People came in, brought AA meetings and N and NA meetings. I went to all of those things. And I walked around crying <laughs> for like three days because I knew I was going to get out of there. And how am I going to stay sober out on the outside? Yeah, and I didn't do it. But God put a woman there, and I realized that today. And there's a woman behind a desk, you know, got tired of seeing me walk around crying. I mean, if I wasn't, taught, wasn't sitting listening to a counselor, once I got inside my own head, I had nothing but my own thoughts to listen to, I would start crying. Because my, my, my thoughts were telling me bad things. You're not going to be able to stay sober. You never stayed sober in your life. You said you're going to stop this time, and you never stopped. So what makes you think this is going to be any different? And so she looked at me, and she knew exactly what she said. She asked me, how old was I? And I said, I'm 48. And she said, don't worry. Every man who comes in here who's above the age of 45 never drinks again. Got this licked, man. And that's all it took, you know? I, I believed in a lie. I believed in a lie, you know. I know people who got sober past the age of 45 and they, could, and they went back out. But that's what I needed. She threw me a straw. She threw something at me. Or maybe she just didn't want to see me walk around crying. I was bringing it down. I was ruining her day. So she got me to stop. And, and it worked. I got out of there on a Friday. I went to my first AA meeting at the White House in Litchfield Park. I met some people there. And, of course, I fucking. I cried. I'm sorry. I said I wasn't going to use that word tonight. I cried. And, uh, and I did that for, for a while. I went through, uh, I had to go, and finding an AA meeting, you know, is a tough thing to do. You know, you guys don't advertise. There's no neon signs like Bud Light and Coors and Schmiernoff and everything like that. Just because you pull into a church, if there's multiple buildings there, Go to the one, the furthest, the furthest room away from the cross is where you're going to find the AA meeting. You know, you, know, you can't go to the front door. And, and you just go there. And, and I went, and I went to other meetings. And that's Sunday, the Friday after I got out. Sunday, I had to go to Banner Thunderbird because they're going to screen me for an IOP. And again, 
they put those things in the worst places. Behind the door, the back of the place, tucked into a small corner is where the rehab is there. And I had to go in there and get screened by these people, the nurses or whatever they were, and they asked me some questions and all that kind of stuff. And I was screened for the IOP. And the uh, uh, company picked up the tab for it that I worked for. So it was nice of them. They even put me on uh, short-term disability. I didn't have to go to work. And they paid me 100% of my paycheck for two months. You know, and it was nice. I went through the IOP for like six weeks, and I had a couple of weeks after that. I wasn't on the, I didn't have to go to the di district office in, in town. Even I didn't have to go into the district office. Never mind go on the road. And uh, everything was, was good. I went through the IOP, and I, I started going, we went three nights a week to the IOP. I had to do three AA meetings. So I found a down-under group that had a meeting every night at 5.30. It was convenient. I started going to a meeting on a Saturday morning called Altering Attitudes. And, uh, and all this stuff just fell into place. And I met friends and just in the rooms. So I didn't associate yet. And uh, I felt safe. Uh, the time came... When an IOP stopped and I had a sponsor. And that's when my journey kind of started, or it did start. And the first thing he wanted me to do was write a gratitude list. Even though I did the first step and second step and part of the third step, started on the third step in IOP, he wanted me to do a gratitude list. What do I need a gratitude list for? He says, because you're not grateful for anything. Yes, I know you're not. Give me a gratitude list. Of course, I didn't do it right away. And he kept asking me because I was going to the down under just about every night. And uh, he finally told me, I want a gratitude list. You know, if you don't have a gratitude list for me tomorrow, find a new sponsor. So I went home that night and started writing up a gratitude list. And I wrote down a gratitude list. I put job, house, car, God, car, house. <laughs> God, AA, God, AA, wife, blah, blah, blah. And then I gave it to him when I seen him, and he took it. You know what they did? Crumbled it up and threw it away. He said, now, tell me what you really put on that list. I said, I put God. He said, no, you didn't. I said, I believe in God. He said, so what? So does the devil. You know, just because you believe in God doesn't mean you listen to him. So I said, okay, so what, what did you put down there? I said, I put my house down. Why did you put your house down? I said, because I need a place to live. He said, how big is your house? And I told him, like, five-bedroom house. How many people live there? Me and my wife. Uh, Have you ever lived in a one-bedroom apartment? I said, yeah. He said, was that enough? I said, yeah, so why are you grateful for your house? Why can't you just be grateful you have a place to live? I said, oh, okay, that's one way to look at it. And he said, uh, what's the next thing? I said, well, I'm grateful for my truck. Why are you grateful for your truck? And the same thing, along the same path. Why can't you just be grateful you have transportation? Because you used to ride the bus, you used to ride the train. I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. Nobody had cars back then, you know, just about. You took public tra transportation. You didn't need it. 
You know, so why can't you be grateful you have public transportation? You have transportation. It doesn't have to be your truck. Uh, what's the next thing? Job. What do you need a job for? I said, well, I need money for what? So I can eat. He says, you look, look, don't look like you missed a meal. <laughs> you know? You know, so why you and he showed me that all this stuff, you know, all my stuff I didn't need. All I needed was to have shelter and foods sustenance and a way to get around and make my commitments and things like that as long as that stuff was working because people are getting sober he wanted to show me living in halfway houses you know it's not their house they're living someplace they have a room somewhere but they're still able to work the AA program things could change in my life he told me and I may not have my house or my truck or my job you know but I can still stay sober I can still be a functioning, contributing human being, I think is what he was trying to show me. And, and that started me on the thing of gratitude because I never had gratitude before. My gratitude was always, I get off work in time to start to party. I have enough money so I can party. I get enough rest to get over this hangover before I got to go back to work. Everything centered around alcohol, you know, whether it was getting it, drinking it, or coming down off it. It was always that way, no matter what it was. From the age of 13, when I started drinking on a regular basis, you know, that's, that's the way it was. I, I joined the military so I could drink. I, I didn't join the military because I was a, a super pat, patriot. I wanted to go someplace where I could drink and drug and still get a paycheck and have food and a place to live. You know, that's, that's the God's honest truth why I went into the military when I was 18. Uh, so it wasn't about that. And, and the way I could look back on that is I would wake up on a Wednesday. My wife was mad at me. Usually because I told her on Tuesday I wasn't going to get drunk. But I still got drunk on Tuesday night. And I went to bed drunk. And we went to bed her being mad at me for getting drunk. And sometimes there's the added thrill of her screaming in the middle of the night because I'm wet in the bed, you know. And we have to get up and change the sheets and then go back to bed. So in the morning, she's mad at me. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to talk to her. She doesn't want to talk to me. I leave the house after guzzling some vodka so I could drive to work. And uh, I get... To, to the office, my manager is asking me to do stuff that I don't want to do. You know, the nerve of this guy. Uh, people are calling me up asking me to do things, whether they're my peers, subordinates, or supervisors, whatever it is, customers. I don't want to deal with these people. My daughters are calling me up. I don't want to deal with them. I just hate the world. I hate the sunshine. My desk is right by the front window and every afternoon the freaking sun comes in there and I just hate life and on the way home I stop off at Safeway, get myself a bottle of vodka and put that bottle between my legs and instant freaking gratitude. That's all it was. It was like that stuff, you know, I haven't even opened it yet. It's not even open, but everything's okay in the world. I forgive everybody who just pissed me off the whole day because now I've got my higher power sitting right there on my front seat with me. I don't need anybody else. 
So the only thing I recommend is if you're a newcomer, write down a gratitude list because your old gratitude thing that you're grateful for, it's just going to lead you back out again. You have to find other reasons to be grateful. You really do is what I believe. That's, that's what got me sober was getting grateful. It tells you in the big book you got to get rid of your resentments. You get rid of your resentments. Gratitude starts filling in where the resentments were at. And, of course, I worked the steps. Now, to stay sober now, that's a completely different thing for me. You know, gratitude alone won't keep me sober because I was grateful. I eventually went back on the road. I didn't work all the steps yet. I didn't get into... I. We talked about step five, step four, step five, and then I went back on the road. People in my home group told me, you go back on the road, you're probably going to drink. I said, well, i got to go back on the road. That's what my job is. It's on the road. I, I, worked, I was a project manager at power plant outages. They didn't put every power plant in my backyard. You know, I had to travel to California, to Oregon, to Colorado, and they said, if you go, you're going to drink. I said, well, I at least got to give it a try. And the, only, and the re- way I stayed sober is when I, I worked 13-hour shifts, Monday through Friday, seven days a week. I lived in motel rooms for about 300 days a year from 2004 to the end of 2007. The way I stayed sober is the big book. I got back to the room. I showered, ate my burger, okay, ate three burgers, <laughs> and, and I laid in bed and I read the big book. Sometimes I read three paragraphs, sometimes I read three sentences, sometimes I read three pages. But when I woke up in the morning, the big book was in the bed with me. And I would just open it and read a paragraph. doesn't matter where I opened it at. At night, I started at the beginning or where I left off at and continued. And when I read to the end of the book, I started again. And that's what kept me sober. And I've learned since then, through friends in the program, who put it into words for me, it doesn't matter what life throws at you or what people say or what people do. If you don't want to drink you are not going to drink. Just like it doesn't matter what people say, what people do, what life gives you. If you want to drink, you're going to drink. You know, it doesn't matter how, whether you win the lottery or not. If you want to drink, you're going to drink. If it doesn't matter what your bills are paid for or you owe a bunch of money. If you're going to drink, you're going to drink. If you want to drink, you'll drink. If you don't want to drink, you won't drink. It's as simple as that. And there's power out there to ask to keep you sober. It's your higher power. You have to find that. And that's what I did. Well, in 2008, I came in off the field, and I went to back office support. And you'd think everything would be good. But it wasn't. Because God took care of me when I was on the road, and I was reading the big book. It was good. But then I started getting this restless, irritable, and discontented. Just started eating me alive. And I talked to someone. He said, well, you haven't worked the steps. <laughs> That's what the problem is. You stayed sober, and God kept you sober on doing what you were doing, but now you've got to give a little more. Now that you're in town every night, and you're not living in motel rooms, it's time to get busy again. 
You know, I took a little sabbatical. Now I'm back from the sabbatical, and I had to do it. And I worked through the rest of the steps. And that's what happened. And I was making coffee and going to the groups and attending meet meetings. And then something else happened. I started feeling restless, irritable, and discontent again. And I mentioned that at a meeting. I didn't say that way, but I said something's going on. And a friend grabbed me after the meeting and says, hey, why don't you come with me to Salvation Army? Salvation Army, every Wednesday, I teach a first step class. I'm looking for someone to take over for me so I can move, move on and do some, something else. And I did it. And that's what I did. And from there, I went to um, uh, the jails. Right now, I'm still carrying a meeting into the Lower Buckeye Jail every Monday. And it works. When I first started going to the jail, I got in the, well, the Salvation Army and then the jail. I got this air in my chest and in my head. My head blew up about eight times the size that it is. I, but it was just all ego. Look at me. I'm going into jails. I'm doing this. Lord, a great guy I am. But then the more I took I did that, and I listened to these guys, and I realized that I could be one of them because I went to jail in my drinking career, but not for long times. I went to jail on Friday night or Saturday night, got out on, sun, on Monday morning, uh, time served, paid a fine. Time served, paid a fine. That's all it was. Usually public intoxication fighting, and things like that. Because I, I drank around, being in the military, I drank around military towns. If you were caught walking down the street drunk, the cops would stop you. And if you're intoxicated, they arrest you. Why? Because they know they will get their money come Monday morning. You have to pay the fine. And they started court early enough for you. They were nice enough to start court at 4 o'clock in the morning on Monday so you could get into the courtroom pay your fine, and get back to base, and not be UA, because they know you're UA, you get thrown out. They don't want you to get thrown out in the military. They want you to stay around. You're income. They, they want to we'll see you next time. You know? So, and, and it worked. So, but when I went, started going to jail and listening to these guys, got out of myself and actually listened to them, I remember driving a vehicle, jumping a curb, and running over a mailbox or two. Now, what would happen if I jumped that curb and there was a young mother there with a stroller? That's what happened to some of these guys. I ran red lights drunk and didn't even know it was a red light. Some of these guys ran a red light drunk, but there was a vehicle going across, or there was someone in the crosswalk that they ran over. So I knew that that could be me. And little by little, I started this ego deflation where my ego started going down and down and down. And today, when I'm going to jail, I have that same feeling that when I'm driving to jail to see these guys that I used to get when I put that bottle of vodka between my legs. It's just something that can't be explained. You know, I mean, I got... Goosebumps now. It's not just because Tom's sitting next to me. Because, because God gives me that feeling. 
It's something that I cannot get. The only other place I found that feeling was from vodka. But I know if I drink vodka, it's going to kill me. If I keep doing what God wants me to do, I'm going to get that same feeling without the side effects. Because I wanted to get drunk every day. I just didn't want the consequences. I didn't want the hangovers. I didn't want the wife be mad at me. And that's what I have now. I have the good feelings without the consequences of it. And I wouldn't do it. And the second part, the thing that I believe that we need to have long-term sobriety is humility. Gratitude, well, getting rid of resentments and gratitude will get, will get me sober. But humility is what it takes to keep me sober. You know, that I am no different than anybody else. Just because I've got five years or ten years sober, the world's not going to treat me any different. My wife's not going to listen to me anymore. I mean, I know this is being recorded. I hope my wife can never hear it. Because last night she asked me what was I going to talk about. And I told her. And after she listened, I could tell that I was seeing a glaze over her eyes. And she asked, and I asked, what's wrong? She says, well, you want to take a few pointers? You know, and she's going to tell me what I need to say. I said, but I'm not speaking to normal people. I'm speaking to alcoholics. They know, I believe they know what I'm talking about. They know what's there. They know what it means. You know, well, you got to talk about, you got to, no, I don't have to talk about that. I have to, you know, it's just, she doesn't get it, you know. And, and, and no matter how far I go or grow in the program, she doesn't have to get it. The world doesn't have to change. Because that's all I was trying to do, was change the world to suit me. You know, I wanted to change the effects of alcohol. Like I say, I wanted to get drunk every day. I just didn't want the consequences. Now, how can you get drunk every day and not get the consequences? How can you do stuff? How can you lie, cheat, and steal and not suffer the consequences of that when it catches up? But that's what I wanted to happen. I didn't want the consequences to come to me when I lied, cheated, and stole. And uh, I remember Charlie, when he asked me to speak, that he has some guys that come here that kind of new at this, and they only speak for 30 minutes, and he said, that's okay. You don't have to speak for the whole hour. So I think that was Charlie giving me permission to turn it over to the rest of the group if anybody wants to say anything. And thank you. Sorry.